How is everyone? Yeah, good. Hey, yeah, with Easter coming up and they getting rained out today, pray that uh, we don't get rained out on Easter. But you know, we've been doing Easter in the park for how many years? How many years has it been? 19? <laughs> it's been a very long time. And um, we always say that God is the weatherman. And every holiday, every Easter that we gather, we're, you know, we're just praying that the weather holds up. And we're, you know, pretty much every year we're out there with towels and we're drying stuff down and drying it off and praying over chairs as we dry them off. And so, you know, we'll, by God's grace, we'll do another service out there. Pretty quick, pretty quick. Yeah, sorry to postpone our 20-year party. That's kind of a bummer, huh? 20 years, 20 years, a lot, a lot happens in 20 years. You know, you think about, think about um, you know, just all of the people that have been to church. All the, I was uh, out walking yesterday, and uh, three of these young men started, ran past me, and they're like, hey, is that my pastor? And um, it were three guys, three kids, Suizo boys who grew up in this church, you know, and I thought, man, two of them were actually born when they were attending here. And one, Tyler, was already born, but he, they've been here for like, you know, 17 years, you know. So you get a chance to dedicate these kids, and, and then you get a chance to marry them. And, and then I, I probably won't be burying a lot of them, but others will. You know, they'll, you know, it's part of our job. We marry and bury, and we raise them up, and we disciple and do all that kind of stuff. And so... Yeah, it's been fun to watch uh, what God has done over these last 20 years. Give you a, just a brief history of kind of the, the, the 20 years. We, um, so before we planted, I was uh, an associate pastor at a church here in town and uh, been there about 10 years, been serving as an associate for a few years. And then the church just kind of was going through some change and transition and um, my wife and I, we felt like it was time for us to make a change as well after being there 10 years. And at that point, that's the, where we had been the longest at any of our church experiences. We'd been at the Foursquare Church before that for about eight years and Calvary Chapel there for a couple of years myself. And um, anyway, so it was, it was hard to, to leave after 10 years. And a lot of, some of you were there with us at, at that church. And uh, so we didn't, I didn't know what... I was going to do. It was a kind of a rough transition, actually, uh, 21 years ago that we got out of there. So I just took six months and just prayed. I said, Lord, what do, you want, what do you want me to do with my life, you know? I can go back into business or I can, you know, do something in the ministry. And I just had to check my heart to make sure that my heart was still, like, ready to pursue ministry and that sort of thing. And uh, um, so after about six months, my wife and I both felt like, yeah, hey, we, we still have some, some fuel in the tank and we're, we want to do something. So... Um, I wasn't sure if we were going to plant a church. We were talking about all kinds of ideas. I'd never once in my whole life thought about planting a church or anything like that. I was so happy and so content at that previous assignment. It was like, just fit me like a glove, you know? And so I thought, honestly, that I, that I would be there for, you know, ever. And, um, but, you know, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, right? <laughs> so obviously God had different plans. And uh, so we were actually candidating at a little a church here in town and, at the same time, uh, making plans to plant a church, because we just didn't know. Sometimes you don't have clarity. It's like, is it this road or this road? You just don't know. So we were just kind of like going down both paths at the same time. And, uh, and the other church didn't hire us. So we we're like, okay, here we go. We're going to just uh, plant a church. And so we started to work to plant a church. And we didn't have any people or any money or any backing. We didn't have anything. We didn't have a chair. Didn't have a sound. We didn't have a sound system. We didn't have anything. It's kind of like that. what we just sang in that song, I came here with nothing, <laughs> but all you've given us. And, um, and so God has been faithful. And so we met at a school up at Lopez High School up on the Mesa for a couple of years. And we'd set up 100 chairs every Sunday. We had these uh, black folding chairs. All of you might remember those black folding chairs. And and we had like 10 people showing up, 20 people or 30 people or whatever it was. And people, they kept asking the ushers, the guys who would get up there early and set up everything. And they'd say, hey, why are we, why do we keep setting up 100 chairs? We got nobody coming, right? <laughs> By faith, we're, let's just keep setting up those chairs, right? And sure enough, over time, those chairs began to fill up. And um, after a couple of years, we felt like we wanted to be in the village of Arroyo Grande. We had a leadership meeting, and uh, I think we had about 20 people gathered. Leadership at that point was like everybody in the church. Like, <laughs> do you have a pulse? You're a leader. Get in here, right? And uh, so we had a meeting at my in-law's house, my mother-in-law's house, father-in-law's house, and I remember sitting in a circle, and, and uh, 
Wanda Hildreth, I think it was Wanda Hildreth, said, I think we should be in the village of Arroyo Grande. And I said, I think, and we just all agreed. We're like, yeah, we need to be in the village. And so, remember that, Howard? It was, yeah, yeah. So Wanda's gone to be with the Lord now and, and uh, doing better than ever up there. And uh, so we're just, uh, we just started praying and asking the Lord for an opportunity to be in the village of Arroyo Grande. It's a pretty small little space, you know, to be believing for a, uh, you know, a worship space. And so, but sure enough, this, the old Methodist church came available, and <clears throat> Clem and Amanda Lambert, and they both passed away by now, have already passed away now, and uh, they, um, they took a chance on us. We had 60 people at the time in the church, and uh, they said, yeah, we'll, make, we'll, we'll open the doors to you. And uh, so 18 years there, um, as we took over more and more space next door, so that's the chapel, and then the loft, and then the classrooms, and then the parsonage and then the shop, and then the office, all of those buildings over there. We just kind of took over little by little, and by God's grace, we were able to buy them. And then we'd just been praying about um, a new space, and 10 years ago, we, we wanted to rent this space, lease this space, and I think we, 10 years ago, we wanted to use it for like youth space or whatever, I don't even know. But, um, <clears throat> but 10 years ago, it wasn't an open door for us, and so we just began to just continue to pray and that sort of thing, and then... Um, yeah, about a year and a half or so ago, this place finally came available to us. And so we, we started the renovation. Renovation took, I don't know, over a year. And then in April of last year, we were able to move in. And, and uh, so been in here almost a year already. It's hard to believe. So 20 years of God's faithfulness, 20 years, sev- about 7,300 days, <laughs> About 1,040 Sundays. <laughs> Can you we used to, on our bulletins, when we had paper bulletins, we actually used to put, uh, we, we, we would put uh, the number of weeks that we'd been going. <laughs> like issue number one, issue number two, and we had, you know, it just went on forever. And so and then we changed things and we don't do that anymore. But it's been about 1,040 Sundays. And with that, lots of baptisms, baby dedications, weddings, memorial services, church services, outreach events, and We've just endured by God's grace and will continue to endure by his grace and in his strength as he leads and as he provides. It was a faith journey then. It continues 20 years later to be a faith journey today. Um, it's all, everything that God calls us to requires, and I say this all of the time, it requires his supernatural grace. His supernatural strength, his supernatural provision to get it done. And um, I don't know if it'll ever be different, but I kind of hope it, it's never different. You know, that we always, we're always just, just listening, trying to listen and obey. Just season by season, you know, day by day throughout the course of our life and ministry. And as we add team members and as we expand I, I pray that, that we keep that, that simplicity about who we are, that we just listen and obey. <laughs> the, just don't go anywhere. I'm not, I, I don't have any plans to go anywhere, Keith. I, I'm too old to change now, and um, nobody, nobody wants me at this stage of my life except for you guys, so here we are. <laughs> so you're stuck with me, you know? You might put me out to pasture someday, but I'll probably never put myself out to pasture. So So our message title today is Enduring as a Follower of Jesus Christ. I think it was, I think it's a a good timely message because as we've endured these last 20 years as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've just watched God be faithful. But there's some important key elements to enduring, things that we need to get a hold of and adopt and, and believe for ourselves in order for us to be able to endure. And so we'll be in 1 John chapter 2. It's, uh, we'll be probably verses 1 through 17 right around there. That's what I prepped. We'll see if we can get through it all. Um, enduring as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, after the message, we'll take communion. We'll worship some more. And, um, and then we'll plan to do our 20-year celebration sometime in May or June. With that, let's just take a moment and pray. Lord, we just want to pray and, and just invite your presence, your spirit, your power, your grace, your truth. Lord, I, uh, 
I, I know that people are just going through stuff. And so I pray that you administer to them. Hey, open your eyes just for a minute. Um, um, if you want to and you want to get just acknowledge, if, if you're here today and you're dealing with cancer, I just want you to raise your hand because I want people around you just to, I, we just want to lay our hands on you. Go ahead and raise your hand and, uh, and then get around, get around these people. There's got to be more than two in the room. Anybody else? Okay, in the back. Anybody else? I don't care. Here we go. Anybody else? Let's just get around these guys here and pray over them. Does anybody not have a hand on them? Who's got? There we go. Lord, is my father-in-law is dying from cancer right now, and I just keep hearing stories. I got a call from Raydell, uh, who's got her cancer's back, and Steve, her husband's on hospice. Not long, Lord, and so many people going through hard stuff. I just, I just have felt impressed to do this this morning to just pray, Lord God, I, God, you have the power to eradicate our bodies, Lord God, to heal us. And so we're just asking you to do that in Jesus' name. It's, it's my job, it's our job as believers to pray for healing, to believe for healing. And so we do that in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask God that you'd minister powerfully in Jesus' name. God, that you'd release healing power in the, in the bodies of these men and women that are gathered here and those who are uh, a part of our church who aren't able to be here. Lord, I, I just, I think about Steve and Ardell and Marvin. I just, I know there's so many more, Lord God. I pray that you administer grace and healing and supernatural, uh, just a restoration, we pray, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you have the power as we read through the New Testament, Lord. Uh, you, you are a God who heals, and you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we believe that today you're still a God who heals. And so we call out to you, and we ask for your help, Lord God. Be glorified. In this time we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for that. Uh, buddy of mine, Mike Sparrow, who preaches from time to time, he's pastoring up at Agape Church, and he's been pastoring a lot longer than I have, and so I glean wisdom from that guy. He's just been a dear friend, um, and uh, her, he made a statement recently, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ago, because sometimes you're in, a, you're in a tough situation as a pastor, and you're visiting people in the hospital, you're in their home, and and it seems hopeless, and you don't know how to pray, and you don't know what God wants to do. And he, he just reminded me, he said, you know, it's our job just to pray for healing and let God sort it all out. And so, um, so that's what we try to do. We just say, Lord, I don't know what you want to do, but I'm praying for the very best for healing. And, and some get healed here in this time, and others go to be with Jesus, and they got a healing there. <laughs> They're all good. So... Um, so John writes uh, in, in 1 John chapter 2. Now, John is a, he is a, he's a man of faith the whole course of his life. He's just been a man of faith. And he writes as a father in the faith. And he's writing to people who legitimately were probably, some of the people that he's writing to were legitimately his spiritual sons and daughters, his spiritual children, meaning that he actually led them to faith in Christ. And so you can kind of begin to get a feel for his heart and his compassion and his desire to communicate truth to these people who are in the faith. And so he, he writes to them, my little children. And I, I think this is a, this is a tender a tender way that he is communicating. It's not, he's not speaking down to his reader, to the ones that he's writing to. He is speaking with a tenderness, with a desire. As a man who is old and getting ready to wrap up his life, this is important truth and important revelation that he's trying to communicate to his children in the faith. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I love that word advocate. We have somebody who is for us, somebody who is and the most powerful person who is for us. An advocate is one who pleads another's cause before a judge, a pleader, counsel for defense, legal assistant, an advocate, one who pleads another's cause with 
uh, with one and intercessor. And so it, uh, from my little study here, I, I, this is what it said in that book that I looked at. It says, of Christ in his exaltation at God's right hand, pleading with God the Father for the pardon of our sins. Isn't that just a great picture? In the widest sense, a helper, aid, assistant of the Holy Spirit destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles after his ascension to the Father to lead them to a deeper knowledge. And so Christ, our advocate, the Holy Spirit, our advocate, the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us into a deeper knowledge of the gospel truth and then also give divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of of the divine kingdom. So when we pray for that pastor in Canada who has been arrested for standing for righteousness' sake, this is the 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 Holy Spirit is, has the ability to, to give divine strength. And the church, uh, the the global church of Jesus Christ, we have the the the, the responsibility to pray for it and believe for uh, provision for this guy. I want you to, Jeremy, I want you to reach out to that church and um, figure out what we can do in this country to help that brother in that country. And maybe there's a financial gift that we can do. Maybe it's just prayer, whatever it is, but let's see what we can do beyond just, you know, bring, which is powerful, but let's see what we can do tangibly as well. Verse two, he, Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. He's the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John's writing to believers in the first century, reminding him that, reminding them and reminding us today that this gospel message is for the whole world. He's speaking in a culture where there's a belief in the esoteric that there's some kind of secret revelation that is only uh, for the initiated, and, and, and this religious information is only for a few. John's saying, no, that's not true at all. And the enemy's always trying to confuse the issues and saying, hey, real, real salvation only comes to a few, uh, discouraging. The enemy's a liar. He's a liar uh, and the father of lies. And so this isn't some esoteric secret tradition or knowledge reserved for a view, this is for the whole wide world. Now, not all listen. The gospel message is for all people, but not all listen to the gospel message. That's why Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him listen. Now, it's incumbent upon us that we might listen, that we might hear, that we might believe the gospel, putting our faith in that gospel truth. So not all will listen, not all will respond and believe, but that gospel message is for all people. And it's our job, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So all we have to do is open our eyes and look at the culture and realize with open eyes, with awareness, with Holy Spirit uh, discernment that the world needs Jesus. I was out to, lunch, or out to dinner with a bunch of people, a um, bunch of family. I was down in Long Beach uh, for my Aunt Sharon's memorial service. We did the service on Friday, came home Friday evening, and um, I'm, I'm just looking around at, at the table of the 17 family members, but then also as we gathered at the chapel, I'm looking around, I'm like, man, people need Jesus, you know? People are living hopeless lives without the gospel, without the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I was just praying, Lord, would you help me to, to communicate this truth? There's 100 plus people gathered for this memorial service, and I, I don't want one person to walk out without having heard the gospel and having been confronted with the reality of, of who they are and what, what God has done for them. I want them to know Jesus so that when, as my Aunt Sharon did, as she, as she departs from this 
life and shakes off this earthly tent and take, is, is taken up to heaven. She's, she's actually taken up to heaven. I, I knew that, I, 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 that I, it, I had a responsibility and we all have that responsibility as we encounter people. And John understood that responsibility and he's trying to reiterate and communicate that truth of the gospel, a life-changing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his job and his responsibility to get that communicated to the church so that it's perpetuated through all generations. I was at the hotel room and uh, check in uh, Thursday nights so I can be ready bright and early for the service on Friday. And I noticed there's there's a Gideon Bible, which, uh, which I was stoked about, because not you go into hotels now and they don't always have Gideon Bibles anymore. Like the Gideons have put Bibles in hotel rooms forever, but you don't see it all the time anymore. But then I also saw a Book of Mormon, like sitting side by side. I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> like you've got the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ next to the doctrine of demons. I'm like, I'm, I, so I grabbed that that Book of Mormon, and I put it in my back in my suitcase. I'm said, I'm taking this thing home. <laughs> I don't want anybody to get into that hotel room and pick up that Book of Mormon and get taken straight to hell because that's what it is. It's a doctrine of demons. And so I took it home. I ripped it up. I put it in a bucket of water. I'm like, I don't want this truth to get out. I don't want this lie to be misconstrued as truth. I don't want this. I, it's a Jolene. I'm, this our bathroom trash cans full of water. It's sitting in the tub and it's got all this trash and it's got this Mormon garbage in there, this doctrine of demons. And Jolene's like, what is going on with the trash can? In the, in, I, so I just told her the story. I said, I'm thinking about pouring bleach in there too, just to make sure it's done. She's like, I think you've done the deal, right? I think it's good. But we, we've got this responsibility to be salt and light in the earth. And there's a difference between what Jesus has done and what every other faith in the world is trying to, trying to communicate. John's communicating that this gospel is for these people. It's for all people. And it's our job to proclaim the same truth. The gospel was made possible because Jesus was born. He died and resurrected from the dead so that we may no, so that we may know him, so that we may know forgiveness, so that we may know new life and eternal life in Jesus Christ. So the church father, this church father, the beloved John, uh, the John the beloved apostle, uh, <laughs> John, beloved apostle, I got to settle down here. John the beloved apostle, <laughs> what did I say, impossible? <laughs> He's like prob probably the last living apostle. He's wrapping up his life, and he's writing, and he's going to write the Revelation after this. He wrote this before the Revelation. He, he knows his focus and what he's concerned about. It's the gospel, having seen life for decades and decades as he wraps up. What is he concerned about? He's concerned about the gospel. As a spiritual leader, John is making sure that his children in the faith understand truth for their walk with the Lord. His concern is for their assurance of salvation. We need to have clarity about that. His concern is for their personal sanctification. We need to be allowing the work of God in our lives so that we're sanctified more and more, becoming more and more like him and less and less like our old man. His concern is for their legitimate stance as believers. And so that's kind of the outline for the message today. Enduring as followers of Jesus Christ, number one, endurance requires assurance of salvation. Listen, we're going to waffle all the days of our lives if we vacillate about who we are in Christ. If we're always wondering who, about who we are in Christ, am I saved? Am I not? Listen, you're saved because God is good, not because you're good, because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and because you've come under his lordship and leadership. That's why you're saved. You're not saved because you figured out how to go a few days without blowing it too bad. You're saved because of God's righteousness has been imputed to you. He's good. You're not good. You'll never be good. You'll never be good enough. In your process of sanctification, uh, it means you're sinning less and less, but you'll be sinning all the days of your life. 
till the very end. And that's why God's grace is necessary till the very end. So just allow God to embrace you with that, that reality and that truth. He, John writes, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, I'm, but if anyone does sin, how many have sinned? The Bible says all have sinned. All of us have missed the mark. All of us fall short of God's, God's standard of righteousness. Every one of us falls short. So he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the righteous one who has imputed his righteousness to you and to me who are in Christ Jesus. Verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins. He's the atonement and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I want to read uh, what I read last week in 1 John 5, 11 uh, through 13, because John, at the end, as he wraps up this epistle, this letter to the church, he wants us to understand something. It's not on the screen, but it says this, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. <laughs> Our life is because of the son, our forgiveness, our redemption is because of the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So if you've got the Son, meaning you've recognized your desperate need for a Savior and you've welcomed the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, then you are in Him and He is in you and you have salvation because He's good and not because you're good. So when you're vacillating about what you believe and whether you're saved or not, you need to go back to Jesus and not go back to where you're failed. That's causing doubt in your life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. He said in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Some would vacillate and say, I'm not sure if we're supposed to have an assurance of salvation. Listen, the difference between Christianity and every other faith under the sun is that we can have assurance, not based on our good works, but based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is finished. It is finished, he said, on the cross, and then he died, gave up, his, gave up the ghost, and after three days in the grave, resurrected. After a little more time, ascend it on high. Listen, it's hard to endure as a follower of Jesus Christ if you vacillate regarding your salvation. Stop. This is what you need to do. Just stay close to Jesus all the days of your life. And when you stumble, get right back close to Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So quit messing with sin and then when you, if you do stumble with sin, confess your sin, repent of your sin, and watch Jesus cleanse you. If my kid messes up, he's still my kid. If your kid's ever messed up, they always mess up, right? And we're all kids to someone, right? So when my kids mess up, I don't kick them out of the, well, I've kicked them out of the house a long time ago, but I don't kick them out of the clan. They can't live under my roof anymore, but they could, they're certainly my kids, right? They mess up. I say, hey, knock it off, right? Or, hey, I love you. Let's walk, walk through this. Or, hey, let's figure this out. But I never say, you're not my kid, right? I would never say that. I'm just a man. Think God would say that when you've been washed in the finished, in the blood of Christ, been made part of the finished work of redemption? Listen, we need to understand the power of the blood. It's bigger than your mess ups, that's for sure. Holy cow, just settle into that. Settle into that in the best possible way, like you just feel like I am in the family of God because he's good and he's adopted me in, so just relax, right? You vacillate about that, the truth, and you're gonna be vacillating in every area of your life. You're gonna struggle with sin more than ever. You're gonna struggle with this discouragement about your, who you are, about your faith. and all. It's just a, it's just a mess, and that's why... The enemy wants us vacillating there. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Who are you? If you're in Jesus, you're in Jesus. That's your identity. Some of us, though, get, get that new identity, but then we flirt with the world and we become, we're, we're like, it's so 
muddled and so unclear about who we are, we're confused in our own minds and everybody else watching us, they're like, who are you? Are you a believer or are you not? Right? So we need to be sure about who we are because then, we're, then our testimony is clear, our witness is clear, our confidence is clear. We know who we are in Jesus Christ. Enduring as a follower of Jesus Christ, number one, endurance requires assurance of salvation. How's your assurance? Are you sure today? If I ask you today how many are saved in the room, how many will raise their hand? Right? If you didn't raise your hand, listen, salvation is through Christ alone. He was born in the incarnation. He, was, he lived. He communicated truth. He went to the cross and died for your sins. He was in the grave and resurrected on the third day and then ascended to the Father. He is, he is your advocate. He is your friend. He is your savior. If you'll just welcome that, that, that truth and that grace into your life. We confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We shall be saved, right? It's just that simple. It's simple, but it's life-changing. And if it's not life-changing, I'd tell you to go back and figure, maybe you didn't really do it. But if you've done it, there's going to be life transformation. You may still struggle with sin, but you're going to feel like a turd for doing it, right? Right? Before Jesus, you'd, you'd struggle with sin. You wouldn't feel anything. You'd feel like, whatever. But now you, if you struggle with sin, you feel terrible about yourself, right? You feel terrible about that decision. That's an indication that the Spirit of God, the perfect person of the, the third person of the Trinity is living in you, and he's shining a light on those things that are hurtful to you and hurtful to the Father. Number two, endurance requires personal sanctification. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The New Living Translation says, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Just very clear. I'm writing these things to you so you will not sin. So God's plan is that we would quit stumbling, quit sinning. But if we do, we have an advocate, the Father. Paul said, don't let the grace of God be an excuse for your sin, right? God's grace is sufficient, but don't let that be an excuse for your perpetual sin, right? John wants those who follow him to get the victory over sin. There's victory available to us. The struggle with sin is going to be lifelong, but just keep wrapping yourself around Jesus. Keep open up the, opening up the word of God every day and just allow God to speak to you through his word. Let the truth of God minister to your heart, especially when you're struggling. You open up the word of God and let the spirit of God minister through the word of God. Man, it's just like a, 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 a salve, a, a healing balm on your soul, on your heart, on your, on your mind. It, it's, it's got redemptive and restorative qualities, the word of God. That's why the enemy wants to keep you away from the word of God at all costs. What's the hardest thing in the world? To get up in the morning and read the Bible, right? Everything in the world is coming against you. Everything in the world is coming against you. But that's because the enemy is doing everything he can to keep you out of God's word. A believer's personal sanctification is critical to an effective walk with God. And it's the evidence a person has had in a genuine encounter with God, a genuine encounter with God. Verse 3 says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So we're saved by grace through faith. We don't get any credit for it, our salvation by our works, but then our works are evidence that we're planted in Christ. Right? Just like if, uh, you, know, you plant a tree, and you know it's an apple tree because it's got apples, right? You plant a tree and you get peaches, you know it's a peach tree. You be planted in Christ and you begin to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, love, joy, peace, patience, love, joy, what is it? <laughs> I've got all this stuff memorized, but then my mind starts going, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, I think there's nine of them. <laughs> Sorry. All of those things begin to become evident in your life. People are like, man, why, what's changed about you? Well, Jesus, I got planted in Jesus. So the fruit of the Spirit just begins to flow. And if you haven't been planted in Jesus, then you got the old ugly fruit, the, the, the old un, unhealthy fruit coming out of your life. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. <laughs> John's pretty clear. He actually uses that word liar like over and over again in this text. Why? Because he's an old guy, and old guys can get away with stuff, right? <laughs> old people say stuff, and you're like, man, where's your filter, right? But we actually don't want John to have a filter. We want to know the truth. Why? Because the truth will set us free. And so he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. What's his commandment? Well, all the law of the prophets are summed up in this, love your neighbor, love God, and love your, your neighbor, right? So this is what God has called us to do, to love him and to love others. Everything else is in the scripture, Old and New Testament, the law and the prophets, it's all wrapped up in that. Love God and love others. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So I was down in Southern California driving, and it was about, so here to Long Beach, about 200 miles. Took us six hours to get there. Traffic is horrific. Five hours to get back. And so it was hard to be loving <laughs> during that drive, right? My brother's riding with me, so it kind of keeps me a little bridled. But I was, if I was by myself, I might be a little more, you know, free. But, um, but Larry's with me, and he's, he's, he's going to judge me. I know he's going to judge me. And if I say something, he's going to tell me, hey, you shouldn't have, I thought you were a Christian. That's what he'll tell me. I thought you were a Christian. But there was this guy driving up this, uh, the shoulder trying to get the off-ramp. He's driving like 100 miles an hour, literally driving 100 miles an hour. And all of this stuff, because you're on the shoulder, there's all this dirt and debris and that sort of thing. Well, he's driving this sports car and all this stuff. I could see it in my rearview mirror. All this stuff's blowing up and blowing all over the place. I'm like, holy cow, what an idiot. And so you say stuff like that, right? And probably more harsh words, but you say stuff like that. But, and so, so we're not, man, we're probably talking about that kind of stuff. We need to be less critical. But I think when we're talking about loving God and loving others, we, we can be offended by others and that sort of thing because people offend us all the time, right? But when we allow that offense to stay in our soul and to be in us, and, and that offense hinders our ability to love that person. There's, pe there's hard people in all of our lives, but we still have this responsibility to love them, right? So what does that look like? Well, we serve them when we don't want to serve them. We pray for them when we don't want to pray for them. We're kind to them when they don't deserve it. Because everything that God calls us to do requires his supernatural grace and power in us and through us, right? And so when we feel like being angry, being frustrated, we need to say, Lord, I, I, help me to serve this person. Help me to love this person. It's supernatural, right? The stuff that God calls us to is, is not easy, that's why, it, that's why we tap into who he is and we allow his grace and strength to flow through us. So we're with a difficult person. We say, Lord, just help me to love this person, whatever that looks like. And as you just ask the Lord for that grace, you're able to love. Now, there's gonna be times where you're still angry and frustrated and put out by that person, but you can still love them through all of that. You can still be gracious and hospitable toward them. Whoever says he abides in him, verse 6, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. All right? Jesus was falsely accused, hung on a cross by his false accusers, by his accusers. And he, he was, as he was hanging there, he was dying for their sins. He was dying for them. Enduring as a follower of Jesus Christ, number one, endurance requires assurance of salvation. Number two, personal sanctification. Number three, endurance requires a legitimate stance. That means you need to know who you are. And you need to know what your life is about as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't stand for something, someone said, you'll, you'll fall for everything. It's important that we understand who we are. That's why we need to understand we need to have the assurance of salvation that we've been adopted into the family of God, that we belong to him. Speaking of standing, I challenged people last week. I wonder, is anybody deciding to run for city council? I'm a serious question. Anybody praying about running for city council or for school board? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, you got some in the back. There we go, there we go. Listen, 
you need to ask the Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Wouldn't that be amazing if like 20 people from this church, 30 people from this church are running for city council and 20 or 30 were running for the school board? That'd be amazing, right? We might actually get a seat, right? <laughs> we, need, we need to be aware of what's going on in our schools. Uh, in our staff meeting last week, Jeremy brought this video about this 11-year-old who went to his library and he saw a book that he knew his dad wouldn't like, so he checked it out so he could take it to his dad. It was a book about homosexual sex between two young men in the middle school library. It was graphic. But then the when he took it up to the librarian to check it out, the librarian said, do you want the more graphic novel? It's graphic enough. And you know why that's happening? Because we're not doing anything about it. That garbage is made available to our young people because we're sitting on the sidelines. So when I say, is anybody prayed about joining the school board? I'm serious. I'm not just joking. That's not just a funny point. That's, I, I want people to be praying about that. Ask the Lord. You say, well, I don't have any experience with it. It doesn't, doesn't require experience. You can get yourself trained up. You can figure out how to do what you're called to do. When I planted this church, I had no idea. I'd never planted a church before. But I just put one step in front of the other. When we remodeled buildings, I'd never remodeled buildings before. We just put one step in front of the other. We just, what is God telling you to do? Believe it and just get after it. At the very least, volunteer in your kids' classrooms, in public school. Volunteer in the library so that you see the garbage that's on the shelves and then do something about it. Because what Jeremy shared about drag queen Bible story or uh, drag queen story time, that's happening. That's happening. And why is it happening? Because we're not doing anything. If we're doing stuff, that stuff's not getting by us. So what is God asking you to do, right? That's what I'm talking about when we, we need to be, endurance requires a stance. Like, who am I? And what is my role? What has God called me to do? What is my purpose here on the earth? I got a job, I got this other stuff, I got family. But man, I need to be in the, in the, in the, involved in the process of you know, why, why do we have stuff like this in our kids' libraries, middle schoolers? Why do they need to know about homosexual sex? Why is that part of our curriculum? Because the liberals have an agenda and they're trying to cram it down our throats. And if we don't do something about it, we're going to get swept away with the tide. That's what I'm talking about. That's what John's talking about. Endurance requires a legitimate stance. Verse 7, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the, the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Why? Because godly people are doing what godly people are supposed to be doing. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Stance, who am I? I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so I'm choosing to love those who hate me. Part of choosing to love those who hate us is confronting the darkness that's in our culture. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We will, if we allow darkness in to our souls through hatred, some of us hate what's going on in the world, and that hatred has just caused us to get angry instead of compelled us to action. We just get angry, and we get in our little groups, and we huddle, and we complain about the other side. Well, that's doing nobody any good. Listen to that. <laughs> we got it. In this generation today, like in now, in the here and now, we've got a responsibility to do. So if that means you've got to reorder your priorities, reorder your priorities. This life is wrapping up quickly. 
My father-in-law, my, my father-in-law Marv, 88 years old. A week ago, he could walk with a cane from his house to his mailbox, 75 feet away. Today, he's bedridden, can't walk. He's wrapping up, he's 88 years old. When you're wrapping up, you know what's important. You will be there, I will be there. You will wrap it up. And you don't wanna have all this regret that I didn't do what I could have done when I was 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Don't let hobbies and all of these other things distract you. Just get after the business that God has called you to get after. Verse 12, I think that's where I'm at. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for, the, for his namesake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So John is addressing every person in every stage of their spiritual journey. And he's building them up in their most holy faith, but he's also challenging them to get off the couch and do something about who they are. And so we do that by praying for people in our lives, sharing the gospel with people in our lives, but then also protecting our young people in a culture where they're just trying to suck them into the pit of hell with all of this garbage that they're trying to uh, give them access to. So what are we gonna do? We got hundreds of people that come to Harvest Church, thousands of people, believers in Christ all over the Central Coast, and this garbage is happening here. So this is what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. It's the love of the world, love for the world that's keep us distracted from everything else. We love our hobbies, we love our vacations, we love all of these things, but they're, they're, all of those things in moderation, it's fine, but go do something with your time, talent, and treasure that will make a difference in the culture so that the next generation isn't going through the same stuff that this generation is going through. I got five, six grand, I don't know how many grand, six grandkids? I don't want them to grow up, they keep, they keep popping them out, you know, so. <laughs> I don't want them to have to go through, I don't want them to have to deal with that. So, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with all its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We're gonna take communion. Um, communion is an opportunity to, for us to examine our lives, especially in light of this message. It gives us an opportunity to examine our lives. What is my priority? Am I sure about my salvation? Is there an active work of sanctification in my life? What's my stance in life? Am I sure about who I am? Am I, am, I, am I living this life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do I just look like my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus at all? We take communion once a month because it, it reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross, dying for us so that we might be saved and sanctified, filled with his presence and doing what he's called us to do. To go, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, as we get ready to take the elements. We just invite your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your truth. And God, I pray that we would confess our sins. If you're here today and you've never confessed your sins, you've never come, into, come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're, God, God died for you. Jesus died for you. And so if you want to come under the blessing and, the, and experience the forgiveness and grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, you simply say, God, I need you. God, I need you to come into my life. I, I need salvation. I need you to forgive me for my sins. I need you to put me on a new path, a path of righteousness, sanctify my life. And maybe you're here today and you've given your life to Jesus, but you haven't allowed the sanctification work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to say, God, I'm wide open now. I'm, I'm, I'm allowing you in. I want you to sanctify my life. I want my stance to be sure. 
I want to know that I'm saved. Have those conversations with the Lord when you get saved and then all the days of your life. You say, God, I, I invite you in all the days of my life. Today, God, I wake up and I say, yes, Lord, I am yours. I'm standing firm in you. I want you to speak through me and, 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 and use me. The prayer doesn't change. <laughs> it's all about surrender. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The apostle Paul was a one-man wrecking crew against the church, killing followers of the Lord Jesus Christ until God got a hold of his life. Acts 9, Jesus shows up in his life. And his life was never the same. That's the model. I mean, th this is what it looks like. Salvation equals sanctification equals a changed life. Before we take communion, I just want us to get that truth in us, and then if we need to confess and repent and to get our, our, our um, priorities aligned with God, then let's get that done. And so we're going to take a moment and pray, and the team will be playing some music. And so over these next few minutes, when you're ready, having humbled yourself, acknowledged his lordship and his leadership, confessing your sins, then in remembrance of what he did on the cross, take communion. So Lord, thank you for this time.